And if you have your Bibles here this morning, you can turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews. More towards the end of your New Testament, more towards the end of the Bible, chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, in a minute I'll put the words up on the screen. Once again, we just want to welcome everyone here. My name is Joe Crummy, one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And we've been going through a series uh, all autumn and now into after Christmas from the book of Hebrews. And we're going to go back. Um, we missed a couple Sundays in December, so we're going to go back to one chapter that we missed, chapter 8. And apologies a bit for our lighting the last couple of weeks. Um, we've had some problems here with UMB in this auditorium, and they're still working on getting things fixed. So I know it's hard to see the words, but in order to see the words, it'll be dark in here. So we'd rather have it nice and bright and that we don't want you falling asleep. And I want to be able to see you. And so hopefully you'll get um, to be able to see some of the things here. And if not, it's okay. You can listen. You'll get the gist of things. All right. So Hebrews is all about answering these sorts of questions. So I want you to think about this as we start this morning. Okay. If you were maybe for yourself asking these questions, or certainly you must have friends, family, people that you rub shoulders with, asking these questions, someone to say to you, how do you get to God? Even if there is a God, so there's a bigger question, is there is a God? But if there is a God, how do we get to God? And I think different religions and different people might answer it different things. One would be, maybe you have to have some mystical experience to get to God. And so whether that's through angels, maybe that's through smoking something, maybe that's through some other illicit drug, that's your way, you need to have a spiritual high, and that's how you're going to connect with God. That could be one answer. Another answer could be this. You need to go through a series of priests. So depending upon your background, you might have to go to people who are holier than you in order to get to God. And so that's how you do it. You need to go through other people who maybe are religious or spiritual, and if I can hang out with them and if I can learn some things from them, and I know I'm not close to God, but they're close to God, and if I get close to them, maybe I'll get close to God. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's a pilgrimage. So there's maybe some holy sites in the world that if you want to get right with God and get close to God, you need to travel and you need to go to Jerusalem or someplace. You need to go to temples. You need to go to holy places in order to meet a holy God. Or you might have to do this. You might have to sacrifice some things. Okay? So, you know what, boy? Get to God. I know I'm going to have to give up some things. So maybe it's sacrificing. I don't know what it could be. Old Testament that, it was animals. We had to sacrifice, someone had to die in order to get right into God. And today, we're not so much into killing animals, but we do do things like this, especially in a new year. We're all into self-denial, and I will sacrifice this in order to get that. And the onus is really on our hard work, how we will try. And some people physically try to beat themselves up in order to get closer to God. And I want you to know this morning, the book of Hebrews, which sometimes is a bit hard to understand, okay? We've gone through some weighty stuff. And what I'm afraid sometimes as we go through the weighty stuff, you can miss the application for how it affects your everyday life. And you can think, well, it's good for religious people to understand all that. And it's people who are interested in history and understanding all the things. But it doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. And that's what I want to make sure we get. Because next week we're going to hit into chapter 11. The rest of Hebrews is we get into the faith chapters and people who've lived by faith. And we kind of take from the foundation, how does that get lived out in following God? But if you don't have this, you won't get what Mark's going to bring next week and the weeks after. So it's really, really important we understand how do we get to God and how does God get to us? That's what we're going to 
focus on. And those two things should affect every aspect of your life. And Hebrews is all about this. Jesus is central to how you get to God and how God gets to you. That's the key. You get nothing else. Jesus is central in this. Jesus gets you to God because he is God, we're going to see. And God gets to you through Jesus. And that's what we've been trying to do week after week, chapter after chapter. And today's, in one sense, a bit of a review, but it also launches us into a whole new way of relating to God. And that's where we get the New Testament, New Covenant. And that's where we pick things up today. So let's read our scripture. I'll read it. And again, if you can see, that's great. If not, you can just listen. Hebrews 8, we're going to read the whole chapter. The writer says this. Worship was so awesome, I lost my voice in worship, so I'll try to keep going. (laughs) All right. The author says, you can kind of see it's kind of like a summary point. Now, the point in what we are saying, so everything we've just said in the previous seven chapters, the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, talking about Jesus, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, talking about the tabernacle, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been, sorry, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he who finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. So this is a passage from Jeremiah in the Old Testament. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. All right? So we're going to cover some uh, important things here this morning. And we need to make sure that we always start with Jesus. And the thing we're going to talk about this morning... First of all, is that Jesus is the ultimate superior priest. He is the high priest. And we don't have time to recover everything that we've been talking about before. But we saw in the Old Testament there was a priesthood set up by God that you went to the priest and they offered sacrifices and they represented you before God. And the author is saying Jesus has come to be the ultimate priest, high priest. Therefore, we don't need the priesthood anymore as we had it before. And a quick review How is Jesus the superior high priest? And quickly, three things that we always got to keep going over and over and over again. Jesus is superior just because of who he is. 
Okay, just who Jesus is, he is superior. And the author goes to great lengths to say that Jesus is unique because he's fully God and fully human. And if you heard any Christmas messages in December, hopefully you got that understanding. Jesus is unique. Okay, he was born of a virgin. He was human, fully human, born of Mary. But he was fully God because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Unique, no one else in history has ever happened to. Okay, Just who he is, fully God fully human. He lived a perfect life, unique. He's superior than anyone else who ever lived. He's superior in angels because he is the son of God. He's superior in Moses and all the people in the Old Testament that were really important because he is God and fully human together. Unique, that's who Jesus is. And the author says that makes him superior than all the other priests. That's what we need to know on that one. And because of who Jesus is, he's superior because that allowed him to do some things. So Jesus is superior because of what he did. And as we saw, it was kind of hard to understand, but Jesus came. He was the perfect high priest. Okay, He represented us before God. He was also this, as we learned. He was also a king. And that whole Melchizedek guy who was a king and a priest, and no one else was like him, and it proved that he was different from the priest because he was of a different order. And what did he do? As priest and king, he became the perfect sacrifice. So priests always brought sacrifices and offerings. Jesus brought himself as the perfect king and priest. He laid down his life as an offering. And we see when we get into it a little bit later, we're talking about old covenant. is really the first covenant. It's what was established first. It was established. You can go back and read about it. Exodus 19, Exodus 24, when God was establishing with his people, it was established in blood. So the old covenant was established in blood. The new covenant was established in blood. And whose blood was it? It wasn't goats or lambs or bulls. It was Jesus. Perfect sacrifice. The once and for all sacrifice. And Gord, a couple of weeks ago, talked about this. I'll just read you two verses from Hebrews 9. As this goes on after chapter 8. Hebrews 9, 12. Jesus did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having attained eternal redemption. And we also read later on in Hebrews 9, verse 26. But now Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. So Jesus did something that no one else did. He lived a perfect life. He pleased the Father. He fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And when we deserve death and judgment... Jesus took our place, and he paid the penalty for our sin as the perfect sacrifice. And today, we don't have a priesthood because Jesus is the perfect high priest. Today, we don't have sacrifices. We don't have an altar here. We're not killing things, okay? Because Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. Now, if you don't understand, that is good news. Because you might not think that affects your life. But let me tell you, if you had to go through a series of priests and there was blood spilled up here, UMB would not rent to us, okay? No matter how desperate they are for money, they would not rent to us. And it would be a bit more gruesome, and we would make headlines in the paper. And we don't understand it, but that's how things used to be in the old established covenant with God. A new covenant is Jesus because of who he is, he's superior, and what he did. And the author then says this, Jesus is superior because of what he's doing today. What Jesus does today. And he says he's superior because 
the priests here on earth, they just went through, okay, first of all, a tent, the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, we had the curtain, the most holy place. Okay, only the high priest was able to go in one day a year. And the whole author is saying, you know what? That was just here on earth. That was just a shadow. That was a copy of the real thing going on in heaven. And Jesus just didn't enter that. He entered into heaven itself. Jesus is alive. And he's returned at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of majesty, it says. And guess what he is doing now? This is one of the most encouraging things you can understand. Jesus, it says, is interceding. He's pleading. He's praying for his followers. So if you feel isolated and alone and you're lonely and no one else on planet Earth is concerned about you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this. Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father for you. So you're important. That's good news. So Jesus is superior because of who he is, what he's done. But Jesus is superior for what he's doing right now. He's not on earth and man-made things that were just a copy and a shadow of what was going on in heaven. He is in heaven in the presence of Almighty God. He has access to his Father. He's with his Father. And he's interceding and praying for you, 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 and billions around planet Earth. That's mind-blowing. But it comes down to he's praying for you. That's what he is doing. And Brent did a great job a couple weeks ago from chapter 7. Listen to this, verse 25. But because Jesus lives forever. Let me just say that again. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely or eternally those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So as Brent was trying to, it's a big topic, but I'm just going to say here. So we believe, okay, if you're born again and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're eternally saved, not because of what you've done, but because Jesus lives and he is able to intercede and because he's living, he is able to save you completely. It's a big topic. You can listen more. Brent, if you're truly saved, not because of where you might wander away and you, Jesus, lives forever and his spirit's in you and he's able to save you completely because he is living and interceding for you. The work and the onus is on Jesus. And we trust him because he's a good savior. So already, you should be understanding, as a follower of Jesus, the assurance you have that God is for you because of Jesus Christ, that he's the perfect priest He's the perfect sacrifice, and he lives today to intercede for you. So, Lisa Jones, you can know that praying for Chris, hallelujah, you can Facebook us and ask for prayer, but you know Jesus is interceding for you. And even if we forget, Jesus is interceding for you in the midst of what you're going through. You see how Hebrews, ooh, complicated book, gets right down into your nitty-gritty everyday life. And if we miss that, we've done a great disservice. Because everything in Hebrews is good news for everybody on planet Earth. And it should work its way down and permeate its way down into your everyday life. It's good news. Jesus is our great high priest. 
because of who he is, what he's done, and what he is currently doing. And we have great confidence in Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, we can keep going. Jesus is also this. Christ is the mediator. He's kind of like the lawyer of a new covenant, okay? And if you've ever had to do anything with signing something, so say you're buying a house, and there's lots of paperwork, and there's lots of, like, fine print, I can guarantee you this, okay? I'm going to Bromwin, who's a lawyer and an expert, and I'm saying, please help, because I feel inadequate to be involved in this big transaction. When we get talking about God, I feel very inadequate about connecting to God. So what do I do? I look for a mediator, one who's an expert. And Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Now, we've got to flesh that out and explain that out, okay? What do we mean by this? First of all, sometimes we talk about Old Testament. All Old Testament means is Old Covenant. So we can replace words covenant and testament. Old Testament. What do we mean by testament or covenant? Because we don't actually use that word very much necessarily. Okay, just to try to keep simple, I've just said this. It's a meaningful binding agreement. So it's between two parties. It's meaningful. It's binding. There's an agreement with it. And if you, again, can read in the Old Testament, most of the early Old Testament is all about this. It's about the covenant God established with his people. And you can read about Exodus 19, 24, There's provisions, again, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. A huge part of those first five books is all about God establishing his binding, meaningful binding agreement with his people. And today, we don't have too many things like that, but we do have one. And uh, here's one, okay? Because there's a legal part to this. This is getting old now. There's our legal for Angela. There's our marriage certificate. And only because I'm organized was I able to find it, okay? <laughs> Many of you are going like, oh, good, I don't know where my marriage certificate. No guilt, okay? Just saying, I happen to know where it is, okay? So on June 7th, 1997, in the presence of God and the witnesses there and family and friends, we made a covenant together. And there's two parts to that. One is there's a legal piece of paper that says, with witnesses, signed, something happened that day that was a meaningful, binding agreement. And there is proof. Now, if any of you know, in everyday life, guess what? That piece of paper, it doesn't do very much, does it? <laughs> because our mutual binding agreement is really built on relationship and love and trust and a thousand decisions along the way there's a legal part to it and there's a relational part to it they go together and we have in the old testament a meaningful binding agreement between god and his people and he actually wrote it down so the israelites knew exactly get this they knew exactly what god required and where they stood and it was a basis of trust and security as a nation. So God wrote down for them, here's the binding agreement. So you can't plead ignorance. It's right there. This is what God requires. This is God's part. This is your part as a people. And everyone knew where they stood. And it was meant to bring relationship, peace, security, blessing, because 
as opposed to other foreign gods who you're like, you don't know if fire is going to rain down on you one day or what's going to happen. You're trying to appease the gods and you don't understand them and you're trying to figure things out. God says, you can know me. And I'll tell you who I am and what I expect. And I want relationship with you. That was the covenant that he made. And it's made up of these three things. This is really important. So you've got to understand these things. There was a moral part to it. So God has started and what's probably the most famous part of the covenant in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments. Thank you. Okay? The Ten Commandments. That was the starting point. And it was about, I'm, I'm putting down moral. It's not necessarily the best word you can put spiritual. It's hard to find a word to summarize that. But it's really about these things that make up our relationship with God and one another. And it had to do with worship, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make idols. All that. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. So it started out there. And out of those first three commandments, okay, came everything else about us as people relating together. So there's things in there about marriage, about parenting, about being a child, about your neighbors. It's all right there in the Ten Commandments. There was a moral part to it. You understood what the rules were to follow, and the rules were there for your good. There was a moral part to it. There was a civil part. Israel was a nation. And so there was a whole structure, kind of a, a political thing, but there's this whole thing about them being a nation that was separate from the other gods and other peoples at that time. So you get some funny things that come into the civil laws. So if you read the Old Testament, there's some weird stuff in there, folks, okay? About how to trim your beard, okay? About how you cook your food, about how you store things, okay? In marriage, there's some pretty funky things in there about sex as well, okay? There's lots of stuff in there. And we kind of read it and go like, what is going on? God wanted his people to be separate and different from everyone else, and he established a way for that. And he had this whole ceremonial thing of how do you get right with God. So there were priests and sacrifices and the tent and the tabernacle and God's presence, and you had to follow all these different things, and there were sacrifices, and if you... All these things were set up. That was all together. 613 laws. Old Testament. So out of the Ten Commandments, a few got added. And it's good news that all 613 don't apply to us today. But this is where it gets a little bit confusing. We're going to find out. And this is really, really important that you understand this. Covenant, meaningful binding agreement between God and his people. Moral, how do we act towards God and one another? Civil, set apart, a nation. Ceremonial, how do we get to God? All things to do with cleansing, priests, sacrifices, everything. And what we found is, as the author is saying here, it was inadequate. You don't need a new covenant if the old one was working well. That's what the author is saying. Why do we need a new one? If the old, well, we need a new one because the old one wasn't working well. And the author is saying, whose fault is that? God, was it your fault? You messed up by those 613. You got the Ten Commandments wrong. God, it's your fault. The author is saying, no. Here's what we see. Who was at fault? Two things. Mainly the people were at fault. If I only knew what God wanted me to do, I would do it. God's saying like, hello. I gave you what I want you to do. And guess who didn't follow through on that binding, meaningful agreement? The people of God fell short. 
because they could follow the external things some degree, but it wasn't affecting their heart. And over and over again, it's just a tragedy reading the Old Testament of the people who disobeyed God, they followed other gods and all the consequences, and God pleading. Sometimes he's saying, I'm like a father, I'm like a mother, pleading to my kids, come back. Sometimes he uses the illustration of being like a husband whose wife has run away with other people. He's saying, come back to me. Come back to me. The people, their hearts weren't changed, and they worshipped the other thing. Here's the other thing. It wasn't that the law wasn't good. The law was good. It was God's law. God, God didn't mess up, okay? God didn't go, oops, I got that one wrong. He did not. But here's what we read about in the New Testament. The law that told you right from wrong did not empower you to actually fulfill and follow it. So here's the rules, which are good. They're for your protection. Okay? It's good that it says, do not steal. That is good. But what we do is, if people understood my circumstances, they would understand why I'm stealing. And the flip side is, how dare you ever steal from me? So we like the laws when they protect us. We don't like them when it seems like they forbid us from doing things. That's our human nature. That's our nature. I want everybody else to go to the speed limit. And I hate when people pass me. But I'm okay when I can pass them. Because if everyone knew the spirit, hurry eyes in. And the important meaning I have to, they would understand. But we don't think that way when someone passes us. I hope there's a cop up there who's going to get them next. I don't think that way. I'm just saying, I've heard some of you talk like that. But I mention these effects everyday life. So the law is good. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Okay, don't worship other idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor your mother and your father. Okay? All those are good. But what it didn't do, it didn't empower you to actually live them out and that's where it was inadequate and that's why we need a new to replace the old and i just want to make sure you just understand because this is where it gets a little bit confusing as we hit down the home stretch here okay the first covenant or the old covenant points to the second the new covenant and you need to understand two things here okay in God's sovereign plan, okay, there's a continuous plan from eternity past to eternity future that God didn't get tricked or fooled to go, oh, after Genesis, oh my goodness, what has happened here? I need a plan B. Oh, I'll know what I'll do. I'll do a new covenant. And we can sometimes think, wow, God really messed up in the old covenant. And God had a plan B. The continuous part is this. God in his sovereign wisdom and own counsel knew all of this before planet Earth even existed. It wasn't a plan B. It was part of his sovereign plan. So there's a continuous thing that God had a purpose for picking Abram to become Abraham. God had a purpose for picking Israel as his special nation and special people. You can read about it. It's in Exodus 19. God says this. I'm the creator of all the people on planet Earth, but I pick you. They didn't do anything special. It was God's sovereign choice. He had a plan in the old covenant, the old pointing to the new, and the plan was this. He established, and this is so great, 
he established right from wrong. Through the Old Testament, we know right from wrong. I think you could go anywhere on planet Earth, and most people are not going to, at least for the last six commandments, disagree with the Ten Commandments. They might not understand the first three about God, but most of our civil law is based on the Ten Commandments. That is good. We know right from wrong. Okay, I shouldn't covet. I shouldn't steal from my neighbor. I shouldn't steal my neighbor's wife. Those are good things to understand. Okay? That's continuous. And that's all part of God's plan. He's sovereign. And Jesus was the answer all the way through. And we read it right in Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, it was prophesied right there. Jesus, okay, he's going to strike the serpent. The serpent's going to bite Heal, it's all there. And that's all part of God's continuous plan. So there's some things that are continuous from old to new. And this is what we're going to get into in point three. Some things, they discontinue. Now here's where I need you to really focus. And we're going to see it in the fulfillment of the prophecy from Jeremiah. This is what we keep. Out of that moral, civil, ceremonial, the moral continues into the new covenant. And this is where people get confused. I'm going to give you a really okay, modern-day, very uh, controversial example. The moral continues. So into the New Covenant, as we're going to see, and I'm jumping ahead, but God says, you know, I'm going to write the law on your hearts and on your minds. The Ten Commandments haven't changed. So when we get a New Covenant, we think, hey, we're not under the old anymore. It's all new. It's peace and love. And we don't have to worry about all 613 rules. It's all done away with. We can do whatever we want because God loves us and we're living under the new. That's how some people view the new. The moral still continues all the way through. The good news is God gives you his Holy Spirit to then live it out. Now here's the key. The civil and the ceremonial, Jesus fulfills and they're done away with. So Israel Okay, we honor Israel as a nation. Okay, we're not anti-Semitic at all. We're grateful for our Jewish roots whatsoever. We don't speak down against Jews or anything like that. On a spiritual thing, now Jew and Gentile have access to God through Jesus. And we don't live as a nation of Israel that the Gentiles come into. It's a spiritual thing. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, living stones brought together. So those civil things that establish Israel as a nation, those aren't applicable to us anymore. And Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial. We don't have priests anymore. We don't have sacrifices anymore. We don't have that whole system. We don't have a tent or a temple. All those things Jesus fulfilled, we don't need them anymore. So here's what you need to understand from a Christian worldview. When we, talk, when we tackle a huge thing like homosexuality, which is a big topic, okay? I know some of you here this morning, okay, would consider yourself homosexual. So I understand this is a controversial thing. But you need to understand this. I'm picking a controversial one because this nails it home. You will read, and I read it every time there's anything to do with homosexuality, okay? You will read in the, whatever you Google or whatever, you'll read in all the points. Hey, Old Testament, people didn't trim their beards, people didn't have sex on their period, all those things. People don't follow those today, so people, why do we follow X, Y, and Z? homosexuality being one of them. And you can think, you know what? That is really good logic. Why, you know, yeah, we don't follow those things today. People have tattoos. They still don't have a tattoo. People, you know, so I guess all of it goes away. You need to understand 
the moral part hasn't gone away. Let me give you an example. Jesus said this. He said, okay, don't commit adultery. Guess what he does? He actually ups it even more. He says, don't even lust in your heart. That wasn't in the Old Testament. So he doesn't get rid of what was in the Old Testament. He actually ups it even more. Because he deals with not just the external. Am I going to get caught doing something? He says, if you're doing it in here and in here, you're already doing it. So issues like homosexuality, okay, and I say this, if you have homosexual tendencies, okay, I'm not going to call you a homosexual. Our identity is this, either we're in Christ or we're not. So in New Testament, I'm not a heterosexual Christian, homosexual Christian, I'm not, you know, Canadian, British Christian, whatever. I'm either in Christ or I'm not. That's the only identity we have. Our sexuality is secondary things. But you have to understand this. That rationale of understanding, hey, Old Testament, everything, nobody follows those things anymore, so don't follow the other things as well. You've got to understand Hebrews to say, time out. The moral continues. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say, you don't have to do and hang, you know, you can sleep around with whoever, you can do whatever you want because God loves you. Jesus said, I up it even more. If you've got anger in your heart and you call in your heart somebody a fool, an idiot, and that, okay, you've sinned, you've hated your neighbor. So I don't know about you, but I get like, oh man, it gets even more difficult. <laughs> not only can I not do steal and all that, but even I've got to worry about what's going on the inside because God knows the inside. And even if you think I'm all okay, I know I'm not okay because I'm thinking all these things, but even though I'm putting on a happy face, I know what's going on in the war inside. <laughs> so I'm like, whoo! Where's the good news in that? This is the good news. The good news of New Covenant. As we change from the First Covenant to the Second Covenant, from Old Covenant to New Covenant, we get help. Because the Ten Commandments haven't changed. They're still there, and we need to follow them. Okay? Now, I'm risking here talking about homosexuality because I know it's a hot topic, okay? So let me just explain this one again, okay? For me as a Christian, I don't label you a homosexual. If you think that way and you're leaning towards that way and all that, okay? Those are struggles and those are things. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a Christian first. And we'll deal with those things second. And if you're a Christian and you're heterosexual and you're tempted to sleep with somebody else, and whether ever sex they are, guess what? You're a Christian, you're in Christ, and we'll help you deal with those things. Those are secondary important things, but your identity is, are you in Jesus or are you not? And if you're not in Jesus, you can call yourself whatever you want because your identity is going to be, I'm Coke, I'm Pepsi. Okay? I'm hetero, I'm homo. I mean, it's going to be, you're going to label yourself something. So are you in Christ or are you not? And if you're in Christ, everything else comes after that. Because you need to understand what follows through in New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about it, Paul talks about it, Peter talks about sexuality, marriage, all these things. They're in the New Testament as well. And it wasn't Old Testament's gone. We don't have to worry about those things anymore. No, those follow through. But how you deal with them in the civil and ceremonial, that's done away with because now we have Jesus. And the good news is, 
Jesus brings in a whole new era, a whole new age, because he now brings in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has been the missing link all the way along. And Jesus brings in a new era that was prophesied in Jeremiah to say, one day I'm going to establish a new covenant, and the new covenant's going to be this. The first one is this. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Who's going to do that? Who says, I will? That's God saying, I will do it. And when Jesus returned to heaven, the promise of the Holy Spirit was given, and his followers were empowered from on high. They were enabled by the almighty living God, by the Holy Spirit living in them to now obey the things that the Old Testament had required. But now they have a new life and a new energy and a new heart and a new nature to live them out that pleases God. Hallelujah. So how do I deal with lust in that? It's not that Jesus upped it and then kind of left you on your own. No, Jesus says, I'll come and I'll live and I'll make my home in you and I will help you with those things and I'll help renew your mind and I'll help you choose truth and I'll help you choose life so you don't have to be addicted because I've dealt with the issue of sin on the cross and the power of sin is broken and in Christ, just that Lillian's baptism, she said goodbye to her old life and worshiping idols and she's now worshiping Jesus and Jesus has come to live in her and empowers her to be able to choose godly decisions that honor her and allows her to be free and not addicted to former idols. And that's available to every single one of us. Hallelujah. Because God is going to write in our hearts and in our minds. He's going to change our actual desires because it goes from external. I'm looking good on the outside, but on the inside, I know I'm pretty messed up. To God actually changes our desires. So before, I used to be addicted and I desired this. God's now replaced it. And it's not just saying, how many times have I said it? Over here, to drugs and all that. No, 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 no. And you're still looking at it. He replaces it with yes to something else. Yes to worshiping God. Yes to obeying God. Yes to the benefits of being free from sin and peace with God and joy in the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And that is so much better than what I was bound to before. And how do I do it? We receive the Holy Spirit. And God says, I'll write on your hearts and in your minds my law. So the Holy Spirit then is, as we read about in John 14, 15, 16, the Holy Spirit is your coach. Joe, I don't think you should do this. That's Holy Spirit speaking to me. Don't go into this place. Okay? It might be okay for other people. I don't want you to go in there. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Inside, even if no one else knows what's going on. That's the Holy Spirit. He's my coach. He's my counselor, my comforter, my helper, my teacher. I open up the word of God. I don't quite understand. Holy Spirit, would you come? You illuminate. You teach. You wrote the scripture. You can teach me. Jesus said, he's going to remind you of everything I taught you. So in a situation, he's going to give you the word of the Lord. And he's going to speak the words of Jesus to you that you're going to have that are going to get you out of the situation. You're going to choose life. That's Jesus by his Holy Spirit writing his law okay, in our hearts and our minds. That is good news. So before... We knew right from wrong, but we had no help. Now, God helps us by putting his spirit in us. And he changes our heart and our desires. Okay, the best way I can sum up this. Old Testament, it's us trying. I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to make right decisions. New Testament, God transforms. And there's a huge difference. And it's a gift from God. It's grace. You can't try, you receive, and then he enables and empowers you. He also does this, okay? They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. 
Old Testament quickly, okay? Most of us here this morning, we would be excluded from knowing God. Okay? I won't make you put your hand up, but I'll just say, how many of you are Jewish? There's a starting point. Okay? How many of you are from the tribe of Levi and a priest that get to serve in the temple? A few more hands go down. Okay. And you can go through all the different things. Rich, poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile. Most of us would be excluded from knowing Almighty God, who we are created to love and to worship and to know. And Jesus says, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, and Gord talked about it, when the curtain was torn, okay, we have access into the presence of God. Okay? So I brought my pass. Brent talked about it last week. Okay? This is my pass from the North Conference. And guess what? I was one of the few that was chosen that pass got me in everywhere. So if I needed food, deep, 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 I'm in. And everybody else stayed at the door. Yes. Okay. I want to talk to the speakers. I got my pass. I could go into the speaker's tent and hang out and have my coffee. And like, I got the pass. I got all access. Jesus makes it that we have all access. But here's the thing Jesus did as well. We have all access to God. But God has access to us. That because we're in Christ, okay, God's Spirit comes and lives and dwells in us. And we have friendship with God. Okay, We are created to know and to love and worship Almighty God. And we get to go on here on planet Earth knowing more about His creation. So if you're in education, like whatever education you're in, okay, you're in biology, okay, guess what? You get to explore biology and you get to figure out how great God is because he's the greatest creator. If you're a laborer, guess what? You get to know how God worked on the first six days. He labored. Okay? So whatever it is you do, if you're an artist, guess what? God's the greatest creator. Okay? You can go through. That's you getting to know God. And you get to experience God. And what is it? There's a legal part and there's a relational part to it. Okay? And last thing, there's good news because Jesus deals with the issue of sin. So our breaking God's commandment, both legally, okay, I stole, it's a legal thing, but also heart-wise, even if I didn't steal, I covet it. And there's penalty because sin separates. Jesus deals with sin, so he removes the separation that we can be forgiven. And as we learn about in the book of Hebrews, there's a legal part to it. You are justified. You are just as if you never sinned. You're not guilty before God. There's an experiential part to it as well. Old Testament, David's home, the goats were killed, the priest sprinkled blood on you. That's just a weird thing to even think about, okay? You got the blood sprinkled on you for one day of the year. I'm right with God, and as a nation, we're right with God. Guess what? It did not do anything on the inside. You could be there, yeah, whatever. Blood hits you in the face. Okay, I've done this. Go back home. Okay? It didn't do anything to your heart or your conscience. And folks, as a pastor, can I just say this? People struggle with either the legal or the experiential. God could not forgive me if you knew what I did. God forgives. doesn't matter what you've done. It's what Jesus has done. He's laid down his life so that you can be forgiven. 
There's a legal part. You can be justified. You can be made right with God. You can have peace with God. I say it again. You can have peace with God. And you can experience a clean conscience. Because so many people, I know that God has forgiven me, but I just can't get these things out of my head. We can cleanse our conscience experientially with both. It's good news. Jesus says, okay, prophesied in the Old Testament, I'll forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. There's an immediate part to that. We confess with our mouth, okay? We can come before God. We can repent and turn and say, Jesus, I confess this sin to you, okay? And your word says that if I confess, okay, my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You can read about that in 1 John chapter 1. The book of Hebrews is really, really important to understand. Old Testament, Old Covenant was all about a binding agreement with God and his people. He laid out, these are the terms and conditions of my relationship with you. And he said, this is how you follow it. The people fell short. The law was good, but it didn't empower them to actually fulfill it or to live it out. Jesus comes along. It's prophesied. I'm going to make a new covenant. He brings in the new covenant. He's the perfect priest. He's the one who did away with the priesthood because he was the perfect priest. He was the perfect sacrifice. He laid down his life once and for all. Okay, We don't have to do any more killing of things. Jesus, once and for all, laid down his life. Perfect sacrifice. Took our place. Jesus resurrected, ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his followers. Okay, He lives to save us completely. And now, as he ascended, as the risen Christ, at the day of Pentecost, he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, to write the law on our minds and our hearts, to empower us to be able to live a life that pleases God. He came so that we can know God and have friendship with God, that we can experience God, that we can be forgiven, both legally and experientially, that we can live at peace with God and we can live a life that pleases God. And as we're forgiven, we can forgive others and we can live a life that glorifies God because God helps us by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus lives today to intercede and to make it all happen. That is good news. Because you don't have to try too much. You've got to receive first. And this morning, we get to live in the good of who Jesus is, of what he's done, what he's doing today. And the invitation is here this morning as we worship God. In a second, the team's going to come. We're going to draw near to God. Corporately together, we're going to worship God. We're going to experience his manifest presence with us here this morning. Okay, God's going to come. He's going to forgive sins here this morning. He's going to fill people with his Holy Spirit. He's going to enable people to live in this new covenant, in this new way of relating to God. People are going to experience incredible things here this morning because of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So if you're able, let's stand. I want to lead us in a prayer. And then we're going to, again, lift our voices and our hearts to God. We're going to allow his Holy Spirit to work here this morning. Let me lead us in a prayer, okay? So guys, this is not closing time, okay? The sermon's not done, it's closing time, and we're going to go. No, this is responding time to God. Okay, this is worshiping to God. 
This is living in the good of experiencing God's presence here. And I believe God's Holy Spirit, I know, is here. And God's Holy Spirit is the one who transforms a heart. So some of you here today might not be followers of Jesus, but the light bulb's going on, the alarm clock's going off, because the Holy Spirit is revealing Jesus as Lord and Savior to you. And today you might put, you might say, I'm not going to trust in myself or anything. I'm going to put my trust and my hope in Jesus. And you can be born again, and you can receive and be filled with the Holy Spirit. For some of you, you're weighed down by sins. Jesus is here to say, I've broken the power of sin. And as you turn to me, I can break it in you, and I can empower you to live a godly life. Not by your works, but by my power. Some of you are saved, but you're living under old covenant. You're living under rules and regulations without the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to empower you today to know him, to live in the good of being forgiven. So Holy Spirit, would you come now and as you've taught us from your word, as we've lifted up Jesus and this good news of the gospel, that you have made a new way for us to know you. Lord, you've made your promises that you say we turn to you. Jesus, we confess with our mouth that Jesus, Lord, we believe in our heart. You raised him from the dead. We will be saved. Hallelujah. Okay. And God's word says in Romans 10 that he will richly bless us. Okay. He's faithful to do his part as we come to him. Lord Jesus, we come to you now, everyone here today, and we say, come Holy Spirit and do your work. You know what we need. Come Jesus, let us live in the good of everything that you've accomplished through your death, your life, your death, your resurrection, your ascension, and your intercession today. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.